Good morning, everybody. For your great benefit and joy, I would ask that you would open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to be going to the end of, well, the end of the first chapter, the beginning of the second one, um, 2, verse 2. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's a few Bibles in front of you. Uh, feel free to use that. Um, it's just such a blessing I was reminded this week, such a blessing it is to be able to have the Word of God in copies in front of us, to be able to read and to see the glory of Christ revealed in words. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and I would ask that you would stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word this morning. The Apostle John writes, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, these words. And this is the message which we have heard from him and we now proclaim to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we are lying and we do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we are having fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. If we say, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous that he might forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we are making him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you might not sin. And if someone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation concerning our sins, but not concerning our sins only, but also concerning the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God. Would you please be seated? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we're thankful for this opportunity today to gather as your people, called out of darkness into marvelous light, to by your grace and by your Spirit behold your light today, that we might be transformed from one degree of glory to another this morning. Help us to do this today. Help us to be attentive to your word And to learn what it means to walk in the light that you radiate and shine and that you are. To this end, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember from last time, we saw from 1 John 1, 1 through 4, that the epistle of 1 John as a whole is ultimately a a bunch of writings and, and truths concerning the fully God, fully man, incarnate one, Jesus Christ. 
John writes all things and proclaims all things in this letter that are pertaining to the person and the work of the Son of God who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And the effect of his coming in the proclamation of John's book is for the purpose of, as we learned, our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. We learned that if that is true, then that means that the foundation of our fellowship with God, the foundation of our Christianity, the foundation of our fellowship with one another is the gospel, is the reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done on the cross and his perfection and his atoning work and his resurrection and the fact that he is coming back again. That is the foundation, that is the basis, the bedrock of our fellowship with God. That is also the foundation in what cultivates and what creates and what it is to shape our fellowship with one another. It is to be a fellowship of love, of unity, of brotherhood, of sacrifice. It is to be a life that is lived through the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at the first thing that John writes concerning this word for that purpose. And by way of introduction, then, let's read verse 5, which is John's topic statement or his thesis statement by which he's going to have some several implications, some applications in the rest of the passage. So John says in verse 5, And this is the message which we have heard from him. We now proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The first thing, the first teaching that John wants to put forward for the purpose of our fellowship and our eternal joy apparently has come from the mouth and the life and the ministry of Christ himself, and it is God is light. And in him there is no darkness. God is light. This does not mean that God is really shiny or that every time you flip on a light switch, God is the thing that comes out of the bulb. But it does mean something that has to do with God's nature of who and what he is. And to understand the statement a little bit more, it's helpful to look back in Scripture and see other places that God is referred to as light. Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. John 1, 4 through 10, In him was life, this is Christ, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is talking about the revelation of God through Christ. So we see in these passages, God is light. And what is light described as? Isaiah 60, as the glory of the Lord that shines on his people. What is light described as? As his holiness, his gloriousness. In, in John 1, we see that it describes his revelation, his truth, for the purpose of belief. That's why John was proclaiming him. 
So Isaiah and John come together to say that God is light is ultimately related to his salvation, how the light of the glory of God shines into the hearts of his people and breaks their calloused hearts and calls them to himself. This is something that Paul gets into in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is light. He is holy. He is truth. He is salvation. He is righteous. He is pure. He is perfect. And therefore, John says, if that is who God is in his very nature, then in him there cannot be any darkness. And if God's light is descriptive of his holiness, his glory, his perfection, his truth, believing for salvation, then darkness must be unbelief, unholiness, wickedness, sin, impurity, hiddenness from God. God has lived and always will live in the state of light without any tinge of darkness at all. And John presents this truth to us, not to state something obvious that Christians know. It might be obvious that God is holy to you. But he wants to make this come to bear on their lives and have specific application for how they ought to live in light of this truth. And so functionally, John is doing this. He's saying, if God is light, if he is holy, if he is righteous then what does that mean for our lives? What does that mean for our lives? So John is very application-heavy here, and he gives his application through three sets of conditional sentences. He has six conditional sentences total, if-then statements, and each one is grouped into a group of two. And what John is doing at each point is challenging false teaching or false um, beliefs about the place of sin in the Christian life, And then he's giving what we ought to do instead of, or what those who are in the light, how they ought to walk. If God is light, sin and darkness is completely an affront to his nature. And so for John in this letter, the reality of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ teaches us that for a Christian, sin has no place in your life. That if God is light and you are in fellowship with him, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, if there is one thing that Christ got across to us in his life and ministry, is that the people of God are righteous people. Perhaps this is best seen in Christ's Sermon on the Mount, where those who are pure in heart are those who are blessed forever and who see God. Where those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness are considered blessed forever and who inherit the kingdom. Or maybe a little bit later in chapter 5, when he is so serious and hyperbolic about sin that he says, it'd be better if you cut off your hand or plucked out your eye because sin is that serious and your holiness is that important because it's better for you to enter heaven maimed than it is to go to hell completely physically healthy. In other words, we will live in belief, in righteousness, in faithfulness, and in holiness to God as he is holy if we are his people. And sin will not have control. We will not be mastered by it. We will not participate in it. We will not live in it. We will not live in darkness. So with that, our main idea for today is very simple. Live 
in the light of God. Live in the light of God. And we live in the light of God in three main ways. By living consistent lives, by living with confessional hearts, and by living as confident Christians. As we go through each point, you can almost insert this topic statement before it. If God is light, then that means we must live consistent lives. If God is light, then that means we can live with confessional hearts, and we ought to. If God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, then we ought to live, we can live, we should live as confident Christians. And so without further ado, you'll see these later as well. John says, if God is light, then we ought to live consistent lives. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, and in the darkness we are walking, we are lying, and we are not practicing the truth. The Bible teaches over and over again that when it comes to judging the state of a person's soul, very often our actions speak much louder than our words. If you say you are in fellowship with the God who is light, if you say that you have been changed by the gospel, if you say that the light of God has shone into your heart and the darkness has been completely eradicated, and yet you walk in consistent in utter darkness, if your life is characterized by that of sin and unbelief and wickedness and impurity and maliciousness, John says the only logical result is that you are a liar. That you are not practicing the truth. Before we go any farther, I want to notice what the passage does not say. It does not say... If you sin, you're a liar and you're not practicing the truth. It does not say if you sin once or twice, if you mess up, then you're a liar and you're not practicing the truth. It says if you're walking in darkness, if you're walking in darkness, John is describing here a constant, habitual, unrepentant state of unbelief. A constant, habitual, unrepentant life marked by unbelief and wickedness. That is what John is describing. And God is so pure. He is so holy. He is so glorious, so void of darkness that when he shines into the heart of a person and removes the darkness, it is impossible impossible for one to continue to live in that darkness. Impossible. It does not matter who you are. If you are in the room this morning within the sound of my voice, if you say, I have fellowship with God, you might be saying that implicitly just by being here. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I have been changed by the light of the gospel. But then you look at your life, and your life is characterized by absolute wickedness, according to the Bible standards. The state of your life is darkness. You are controlled by the desires of your flesh. Then, friends, John says, you're a liar. 
You're a liar. You are not in fellowship with God. John continues in the next verse. He says, If we walk in the light, just as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we are walking in the light, just as God is in the light, in other words, if we are walking in a continual state of holiness, just as God is continually holy, not in darkness, not living in sin, living by faith in Jesus Christ, then we actively are receiving and participating in the fellowship we have with one another and the cleansing blood of Christ itself. And this is not like a purpose result or like a a grounds result. It's not like you walk in the light and you gain salvation or something. These these conditional statements are, are, are rolling alongside concurrent, simultaneous realities. Saying if we are walking in the light, we are having fellowship with one another. And we are being cleansed by the light of Christ. So if you're here today and you're looking at your life and you say, I'm walking in the light, praise God. Then you know that you are also one who has been saved by Christ's blood. And you're one who is able to be in fellowship with one another. If God is light, then as a Christian, you must live in the light of God. That's John's first point. If your life does match your profession, if your life evidences that you are walking in the light, then good news, you receive and you reap the benefits of that gospel, of that light. And what an encouragement that is to continue. Like you come into church on every Sunday and you experience a fellowship with the saints. What an encouragement it is to continue to walk in the light. If every day you remember and you realize the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all sin, if you believe in that, what an encouragement to continue to walk. Indeed, we cannot walk in the light if we have not been cleansed. We can't walk in the light if we have not been joined in fellowship with the church. The implicit command here in these verses is to examine your life today. Examine yourselves and to see if you're in the light, if you see that you are living a consistent life. Does your life match your profession this morning? You who are here today and say that you are in fellowship with God, are you walking in the light? Or are you living in darkness? You sit here this morning and you realize, I am a liar before God. You know what's a really good way to determine if you're walking in the light and you're walking in darkness? Look at the vice list of Galatians 5. Is your life characterized by the works of the flesh, by greed, by desires, by immorality? Good indication that if you have more of the fruits of the flesh than the fruits of the Spirit... It means you're probably walking in the darkness. So if you realize today, I'm living a lie, my life is characterized by unbelief and sinfulness, I would ask, repent of your sins and walk in the light and experience the cleansing flow of the blood of Christ today as those who walk in the light do. The first step to living in the light is ensuring 
that your life is consistent with your profession, that your life is consistent with the character of God. Another a, a sub-point here is, is believers. Grace Chapel, if our fellowship with one another is so intimately connected to our walking in the light, then what does that mean whenever we individually are walking in darkness? Or what does that mean whenever we sin and give in to sin and give in to sin and give in to sin? What does that do to our fellowship with one another? It directly affects it. How am I supposed to stir one another up to love and good works with you if I do not even know what love and good works is myself? How am I supposed to speak the truth in love to each one of you for your maturity if in my personal life I don't even practice the truth myself? Believers of Grace Chapel, your sin is not just about you. It's about the fellowship here as well. The souls of the people here depend upon your ability to build the others up through your righteous living, through walking in the light. Walk in the light today. Walk in the light by living a consistent life. Examine yourself today, friends. Second, John says, we can walk in the light by living with confessional hearts. Since God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, we cannot say that we are sinless by nature since God alone is light, but instead we must humbly confess our sins, knowing that in God's faithfulness he will forgive and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John says in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to live lives of consistent confession of sin. That's what it means to walk in the light, friends. We need to live lives of consistent confession of sin. And in order to live in the light by living lives of confession, John says we need to believe two things about ourselves and about God. We need to believe that we are by nature sinful. That God being light communicates to us that we are by nature sinful. And second, we need to believe that God is by nature able to forgive us. That we are by nature sinful, that God is by nature able to forgive us. So first, in verse 8, we see that we are by nature sinful. If we say, we have no sin. John's going to get to later, if we sin. We say we have not sinned, actions. But this one is about having sin. What does that mean? We are perverse, sinful people by nature. And if we ever say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We can never make the statement ever that we have no sin. One of the most difficult biblical teachings for our sinful hearts to embrace is that we are sinful to our very core that our desires, our feelings, our emotions, our heart is perverse, is sinful. Our sin is not merely our sinful actions, something external to us, but it is something inherent, internal to us. This is most evident in passages like Romans 3.10. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. That's talking about the unrighteousness being applied to the person, not their works. 
Their works are unrighteous because they are unrighteous. Or in Ephesians 2, that we carried out the desires of our bodies and are by nature children of wrath. By nature. We do sinful things because our desires are sinful. We do sinful things because we are by nature children of wrath. Sin goes down to our very core. And if you haven't noticed, friends, this does not stop after conversion. Your fallen nature still holds sway in your desires, still holds sway in your flesh. As we learn in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles, believers, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Those passions, those desires, that perverseness of sin is still very present in the lives of believers. Don't confuse not being conquered by sin with not having sin, believers. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.22, put off the old man. We wouldn't have to put off an old man if the old man wasn't still hanging around. We are by nature sinful. God is light by nature. Do not live in deception that you are light by nature as well. We can never, ever, 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 ever say the words in our lifetime, I have no sin. Never. These words ought never to grace our lips lest we live in the worst kind of deception possible that we are somehow righteous in our own right. Being honest with ourselves about our sinfulness every single day will be the thing to combat the deception of that lie. And that's, that's really hard, friends, to walk every single day embracing, saying, I humbly and openly confess that I am a sinful person today and I am in need of God's grace. But that is absolutely necessary to walk in the light. We must humbly and openly confess our sin to God. Why? Because he is alone, faithful to forgive, and righteous to cleanse our unrighteousness. And that's the second thing we need to believe today. So first, we need to believe that we are by nature sinful. But second, John says in verse 9, we need to believe that God is by nature able to save. If God is light, then he is able to save. John says that instead of living in deception, we need to live in confession. The opposite of deceiving yourself is confessing your sins. It is to say, we have sin and we confess it to God, not we have no sin. It is being brutally honest with yourself that you are a sinner, that you have sinned, and that you need God and God alone to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're going to live in the light of God, then you need to live in confession of this sin. And living in confession of sin means that we must believe that the one to whom we are confessing our sin is actually able to do something about it. Right? That's what John is getting at in verse 9. Um, In your translations, they, they say, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is wonderful. Um, but I want you to miss what John is doing here. I'm going to say it something like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, which bears the result that he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
The little, world, the little word to in your translations um, in to forgive us our sins is a rendering of a grammatical construction. Sorry to get nerdy on you. But it's a rendering of a grammatical construction that indicates result. The result of what? The result of the statement that he is faithful and that he is righteous. God's faithful and righteous character and nature is what brings the guaranteed result of our forgiveness. And what brings the guaranteed result that his righteousness will cleanse our unrighteousness. Not because we already have righteousness, because we are not righteous and he is because we know that he is righteous. How? Romans 3, 25 and 26. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, as Christ, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We know God is faithful. We know God is righteous because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, because he has sent him to die on the cross for your sins and to raise again. And that shows us and it evidences to us that he is righteous and that he is righteous too, as he says at the end of verse 26, so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We go and confess our sin to God humbly, not deceiving ourselves, knowing that we are sinful, because we know that God is able to forgive. He is alone able to do that. I go and wash my hands at the sink. I hope you do as well. I wash my hands at the sink because I know and believe that the cleaning property of that soap can cleanse my dirty hands. I go to God and I say, here is my sinful unrighteousness, because I know that he is by nature righteous to forgive He is faithful to forgive and righteous to cleanse our unrighteousness, friends. He's the only one in the universe to do that. He is light, and he is able to do this. Unbeliever, this is your hope. See your unrighteousness today. Know that you are sinful, and confess your sin to God. And he is faithful to forgive, friends. And he is righteous to cleanse your unrighteousness. And believers, this is your daily hope We live every day knowing that, as Jerry Bridges says, we are never on our good days outside the need of God's grace. In our bad days, we are not outside the reach of it. We live every day knowing how much we need the grace of God and the cleansing power of Christ's blood to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so we daily confess our sin to God. We walk in the light with God by confessing our sin to him and daily depending on his righteous work through Christ. This verse in context of God being light reminds me of Ephesians 5, 11 to 14. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. You have sin, friends. Instead of saying and stifling the fact that we have sin, say, I have sin. I am a sinner. Embrace it, no matter how humiliating it is, and every day humbly confess. Bring it into the light, and let the light of God destroy it and heal it. Let it become light.
I know, and I have experienced in my life, the crushing weight, crushing weight of besetting sins. And it eats you alive, friends. I'm sure you know it well. And John's plea, and my plea for you today, is to live in the light. You might think that, oh, if I tell someone that they will, it will be humiliating. Maybe you're 12 and 13 or 14, you're a teenager, and you say, well, if I tell my, my parents and my youth leader, I'll just be ruined. Maybe you're a grandparent or a parent, and you've been holding on to something for really long. You say, well, if I tell people, oh, my reputation will be ruined. I'll be humiliated. That's hard. I'm, I'm, I, I, I resonate with you. It's hard. But friends, to be deceived is much worse. To be humiliated and to ultimately face the eternal wrath of God is way worse than to face some humiliation from some people on this earth. So I would ask that you would confess your sin today. Believer and unbeliever alike. Unbeliever for your salvation. Believer for your continued walk in the light. Believe that God is faithful. Believe that God is righteous. And believe that because he is those things, he can indeed wash you clean. He can forgive you. Third and finally, John says to live in the light, we need to live as confident Christians. As confident Christians. In verse 10, he says, if we say, that's the third if we say, if we say, we have not sinned. The verb of that word now. We have not sinned. We are making him, God, a liar. And his word is not in us. Since God is light and in him there is no darkness, we cannot say that we do not actively commit sins. We cannot say that one of our sins that we have committed is not sin. The light of God's truth has told us that we have committed a sin. So once again, it's in distinction from the last section we just got done with. Because now we're not talking about sins by nature. But we're talking about the individual acts of sin that you and I commit on a daily basis. It's one thing to confess at the beginning of your day, Lord, I need your help and I am a sinner. And I know I am a sinner by nature. But it's a whole other thing to say, what I have just done is sinful. This is describing the classic denial that we have, what we have done is actually not sin. Actually, it's just a mishap or a mistake or I was just tired. I was having a really rough day. I was frustrated. We use all these euphemisms that, that mitigate and that, and that shrink the seriousness of the action that we have just committed. And whoever lives a life, a consistent life of doing that, of belittling your sin, of saying that it's not really sin, you functionally say, I have not sinned. John says, you're worse than just you being a liar yourself. You effectively wag your finger at God and you say, you're a liar, God. Your your nature is light and what you have said in your word is sinful, not true. You're a liar. What I have done is not actually sin, even though you say it is. It's actually righteousness, God. So my first takeaway from this is, friends, let's call sin, sin. 
Let's call sin what it is. We might agree that we have certainly committed sins in our past. However, are there ever times in our lives right now that when we functionally say, that wasn't sin? Can you think of a time in this past week, maybe, that you did that? Is there today a sinful action that you are consistently doing or that you have done and that you brushed off and do not take it seriously as sin? That kind of attitude towards sin, friends, is dangerous. If you behold God's light in Scripture and you see that whatever you are doing is rebelling against God and you say, I haven't sinned, that is really dangerous, friends, because you're exalting your own self and your own particular uh, wants and needs and desires above what God wills for you. And what a horrific thought it is to call God, the one who has saved you by his grace, the one who has loved you eternally, the one who has created you and who holds you together right now and who wills your being, to look at him and to say, you're a liar. That is is a horrific thought. This is serious. Do not fall to the human self-loving lie that your sin isn't really sin. And I'm going to press in on this a little bit more. Parents, spouses, how do you deal with your sin in your home? Are we sure that we raise children who understand that their sinful actions are really sin against a holy God? Or do we belittle their sin? Are we cultivating marriages that confront sin? Or are we excusing our sinful actions towards our spouse because, well, I had a long day at work? Or, well, I have the right to be short and frustrated and angry with you right now because of this and this and this. Do we avoid calling sin what it is in our homes? Do we functionally tell our children and tell our spouses that they aren't actually committing sin by sugarcoating it and avoiding it as much as we possibly can? Or do we just come out and say, I have sinned against you? Anything else is avoiding it, friends. Here's a better way of asking the question in light of this verse. Are we teaching those who we love most that it is okay to call God a liar? Are we teaching those we love most through our refusal to call their sin what it is and to call our sin what it is that it is okay to call God a liar? Because that's what we're doing. If we are going to walk confidently in the light of God this morning, if we are going to have marriages and children and relationships and a fellowship within this church that is in the light, we have to be able to confidently call sin what it is for the sake of each other's souls and our souls to walk in the light. We have to do it to be brutally honest with ourselves and others so that others might not sin. And that's what John says that he wants us to do. Look at verse 9, or I mean, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, My little children, I write these things to you so that you might not sin. Everything John's writing, John is exalting the holiness of God. He's saying, God is light. 
He's exalting the fact that we need to live a consistent life. That we need to not walk in darkness. He's overturning the lies that we can live in habitual sin. Or that we cannot call sin, sin. He's saying, confess your sin to God. He's writing all of these things for what purpose? That you might not sin anymore. That's the goal, right? To be faithful to God, to love him with all of our being. How? John 15, 10, by keeping his commandments. What does God desire from us? 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And that we would walk in the light by living consistent lives and living confessionally. If we would search the scriptures written us to... Um, by God, through John and other authors, we can grow in this fight. We can be confident in how we kill sin. We don't have to sin anymore, friends. The God of light has shown into your hearts and the righteousness of him now rules in you. Romans 6.18, we have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And this is John's encouragement here. Live in the light so that you might not sin anymore. Live in the light confidently so that you might kill sin. But you might be saying, wait, whoa, whoa, John, you just said that we can never say that we have no sin. You just said that we can never say on this earth that we have not sinned. So isn't that sort of fruitless, John? If that's the goal, to not sin, then how in the world are we supposed to reach it? John, are you contradicting yourself? I've tried to read this passage over and over again, John, but it doesn't seem to have the effect that you want. I still sin. I still sin. And I I know that 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that the unrighteous will will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what hope do I have if I still sin? How can I be a confident Christian walking in the light if the goal is to not sin and I do sin? That's a problem. (laughs) But John says, actually, look at the next verse. John says, if someone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation could also be translated atoning sacrifice. refers to the fact that the debts accrued for our sin have been completely paid by the work of Jesus Christ, by this propitiation. Ever since Adam, sin has been in the world, and there has always been a need for the atonement of sins, so that humans might be reconciled to God. And this atonement and forgiveness of sins must come through the sacrifice or the death of another thing. Blood has to be shed in the place of sinners for that debt of the wages of sin to be paid. In the Old Testament, as we read this morning, this was famously done through sacrifices of animals um, by the high priest in the tabernacle and the temple. And in Leviticus 16, we see the description of the Day of Atonement, which is a day set apart every year to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. 
And if you heard what we read this morning, you're probably thinking, what about the next day? If the, sin, if the sacrifice atoned for the sins of Israel in the past year, what about the next day after? They sin again. Those sins aren't atoned for yet. Now I would say you're getting the point, the Bible. <laughs> you're getting the point of the inadequacy of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Its weaknesses were evident. And you can almost imagine when the Day of Atonement would come every year that there would be those who are faithful in Israel who would say, oh man, I wish there was one day where I didn't have to worry about if the high priest was going to do his job right. Or he was going to die in the Holy of Holies. Oh, I would just wish that we had an atonement that would eternally cover our sins. Not just for a temporary time. And John says to us today, we do have that perfect righteous sacrifice who covers all our sins once and for all. And his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, came to earth, lived a perfect life, and in complete perfection and holiness took our sin onto him on the cross. And he took the wrath of God that we deserved for our sins. As we read this morning, and he gave himself up as a sacrifice for us once and for all time. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and he is now alive and seated at the right hand of God, actively interceding for us as our high priest forever. As Hebrews 9, 24 to 28 says, for Christ has entered into the holy places made with hands, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by sacrificing himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Friends, the charge still stands from John. Do not sin. Don't sin. It's okay to say that. Don't sin. Walk in the light of God. Strive to live in perfect obedience and righteousness as Christ did by faith in him. But know that you can do so in confidence because if you fall, if you sin, you don't have to go through some processes and confession with a priest to get back to your righteous standing before God but that Christ has covered you once and for all, for all time. He is the propitiation for your sin. Indeed, his work is sufficient for the sins of the whole world, for all who might come to him. When you learn to ride a bike, you don't want to fall. And I know I didn't want to. You go with your dad and you ride your bike and you, and you go as hard as you can. You try not to fall. You ride with confidence going forward. 
Not because you are so confident in your ability to ride this bike. Some of you might have. I don't know. But for me, it was because I knew that my dad was going to pick me up when I fell. The reality of our sin being covered by Christ's atoning sin once and for all should have a similar effect on our lives. Understand and humbly confess your sin. Live by faith in the grace of God in Christ. Run and do not sin, but do it knowing that if you do sin, Christ has covered for it. What a freeing truth this is this morning. That we do not have to continuously confess our sins to God for salvation, but that we continuously confess our sins to God for the sustaining grace of our once and for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. That we can live freely in the light of God, fighting and killing sin, not in fear that we will die if we fall to that sin, but in confidence knowing that Christ picks us back up when we fall. So Christ is the way, friends. Have faith in him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Looking over the section, in each of the sections of verses that we looked at, at the end of each one, it showed us how we might walk in the light today. We walk in consistent lives because at the end of verse 6, at the end of verse 7, my bad, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We live in confession to God because he is sure to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Same word. We live in confidence as Christians trying to kill sin in our lives. Because why? Because Christ is the propitiation for our sins. All of this is done. I hope that I did not communicate this morning that somehow you're supposed to pull up yourself by your own bootstraps and walk in the light of God. All of this is done. Confession of sin, a humbleness, a repentance in your heart is done because of the cleansing work of Christ being applied to your life. So live by faith in him. Live with consistent lives. Live with confessional hearts. Live as confident Christians all through faith in Jesus Christ alone. First point of application I want to bring us back to is the first we need to examine our lives. Examine our lives this morning. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. To walk in the light, we need to live consistent lives, and that is done by examining yourself. Be honest. Ask for the Lord to open your eyes to see your own sin that might be um, blind to you. And also ask others who you trust, friends, who can say something hard to you and to get across to you that what you are doing is sinful. Second, confess. Confess to God. Confess sin to each other. Humble, yourself, humble yourselves and show and believe that you need grace. And as I said, not only confess sin to God for his sustaining grace in your life, but also confess your sins to one another. 
Ephesians, that verse in Ephesians 4 is a great example that if we bring stuff out into the light with one another, that God cleanses those things. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Let us confess. Live lives of confession today. If there is a time this morning before we take the supper that you need to go up to a brother or a sister to confess sin to them, to bring it out into the light, do so. Do so. Number three, believe. As confidence Christians, we need to believe in Christ. And this is what I was getting at right before um, the end here. That we need to believe in our hearts that he is your Savior. We need to believe that God's promises are true and that they find their yes and amen in Christ. We need to believe that he is holy. We need to believe that he is the light and life of the world. Believe that he is your advocate interceding for you this morning. Believe that it is by faith in Christ alone that walking in the light is at all possible. By this belief, you will kill sin. By this belief, you will walk in the light. If you're struggling to kill sin in your life this morning, I would ask, what promise of God are you not believing whenever you commit this sin? When you, kill, when you try to kill sin and it's not happening, ask yourself the question, what promises of God in Christ am I failing to believe when I commit this sin? And I promise you that the heart of belief will walk in the light. Because that is what Scripture teaches. Find verses. Memorize them. Pray to God for faith. Be like the man in Mark 9 who says, I believe, help my unbelief. And it seems that, I, I noticed this, uh, I started preparing the sermon before last Sunday. And so I had no idea that Zach was going to preach on the seriousness of sin and the need for us to kill it. But I just thought about this week. That's not on accident. <laughs> that perhaps God is trying to teach us in this church something that maybe, maybe we have forgotten. That our sin is indeed serious infinitely serious and that we need to kill sin in our lives. Maybe there's someone in this room, someone in this room that maybe, maybe this week there would be one person that would believe in Christ for their salvation because they have seen the seriousness of their sin. And I would say, praise God. Maybe there's one soul in this room who has realized that they need to, in, in order to continue to walk in the light, they need to confess their sin to God and live in that confessional life. I would challenge you to examine yourself and to do that this morning. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. How are you going to live? in light of this. This is the word of God from 1 John 1, 5 to 2, 2, which I now commit to your further study and faithful obedience until Christ, who is our propitiation for our sins, who has cleansed us from all unrighteousness until he returns to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray.
Our Father, I am thankful. We are thankful for this text, for the the corrective that it offers, for how it is eye-opening to the hardened heart. Father, I pray that each and every heart here today would believe that they are sinners, that we are sinners before you, that we are not light by nature. Father, I pray that as we take communion this morning, that we would remember, we would celebrate, that we would participate in the body and the blood of Christ, that we would remember that we are supposed to be a people united under that one confession. Father, help us to live in the light. Help us to live consistent, confessional, and confident lives as Christians today and this week and this year. We pray by your Spirit and by your grace. In Christ's name, amen.